Welcome to the Michigan Out of Doors podcast. I'm your host, Drew Youngdike, with our co-host, Logan Schultz. And the podcast is brought to you by MUCC, Michigan United Conservation Clubs, and our on-the-ground program, Hunters, Anglers, and Trappers, volunteering for fish and wildlife habitat on public land. And that's supported by the Michigan Department of Natural Resources, Wildlife Habitat Grants, the Saginaw Bay Watershed Initiative Network, and Outdoor Life's Open Country Program. Here's the show. Welcome back to the Michigan Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Youngdike from Michigan United Conservation Clubs. We also have my co-host, Logan the Gunnut Schultz. Hi. Um, who <laughs> is also our social media guru and an avid bear hunter, mm-hmm. burr hunter. Mm-hmm. And then in the podcast studio for the first time today, we have Taylor Retton, who is a program director for the Gourmet Gone Wild program. Say hi to everybody, Taylor. <laughs> and Taylor actually used to be the uh, AmeriCorps member serving with the On the Ground Wildlife Habitat Program here with MUCC. And the reason I mention that is that the Michigan Out of Doors podcast is brought to you by the On the Ground Program, Hunters, Anglers, and Trappers Volunteering for Wildlife Habitat. So we've been on hiatus for about a month or so while we've been working out some technical issues with the brand new MUCC website. <laughs> including iTunes actually picking up the podcast from the new URL and transmitting it to iTunes. So, yeah, we, we've got that worked out. But it was a, a good chance for us um, to actually be out around the state, um, you know, doing on-the-ground wildlife habitat projects. Um, a lot of stuff has happened in the meantime, including a very enlightening report on the approval and thoughts about hunting by the general electorate in Michigan. But before we get into that, what I really want to do is talk about this Gourmet Gone Wild program because it's something that has been going on for a couple years here and it's something that is is really exciting. So, Taylor, just for the folks that have never heard of it, what is Gourmet Gone Wild? Gourmet Gone Wild is a partnership between the DNR, MUCC, and MSU's Fisheries and Wildlife Division. We're a nonprofit outreach program that introduces urban and suburban young professionals to wild game through the local foods movement. So we host events all over the state where we bring in a professional chef to prepare wild game, give them a taste of what it tastes like when someone who knows how to handle it cooks it, And then we usually have volunteer groups come in and teach, like, fly casting or archery, or we'll take them to the range and get them shooting guns and give them that first little step into outdoors, hunting, and fishing. So when you say professionally prepared, there's, like, a chef or what? Yeah. We have a professional chef who comes in and cooks all the food. And all of our game meat is donated by either the DNR, I pick it up from them, or... Wildlife Services donates me some deer, and it's all actually from Michigan. You're actually eating something that was from the state. I'm not feeding you farmed wild game. Did uh, did Drew donate any deer to you? No. It's, <laughs> That's it's weird. It's so weird. Oh, okay. Did you donate any squirrel to him? No. No? No squirrel either, No, huh? the, the squirrel doesn't leave my kitchen. Um <laughs> but but ask me that again in a couple months. Okay. <laughs> oh, don't worry. <laughs> we will. 
<laughs> so where did the idea for um, Gourmet gone, gone Wild come from? Uh, Jordan Burroughs and Eric Mc- Aaron McDonough started it, I think, in 2011, 2012, as a way to bring in people who never really got grown up like with hunting or fishing like I never grew up hunting I grew up fishing but just in my cottage and this whole group of people who don't have access to it but are interested in what they eat where it comes from a way to kind of pull them into the whole culture through the food rather than through the hunting that they didn't grow up doing and that, and that's so important now because not only are folks just in general, you know, paying more attention to where their food comes from, but with this new report that was released at the Natural Resources Commission meeting um, just recently, it's showing that more and more of the general non-hunting public, the way that they support hunting and the reason that that they are most likely to support hunting is when it's done for food. Um, so when a program like yours comes in, and is teaching, especially people who aren't already hunting and fishing, about the benefits of wild game. That just reinforces that message that hunting really at its heart is a food procurement activity. Mm-hmm. Um, so with with wild game meat, how does that differ maybe from like, you know, the, the meat that you'd buy at the grocery store as far as, you know, how healthy it is for you? Well, you know, first off, that it's going to be free-range, it's going to be organic, it's not going to have any synthetic hormones pumped into it, and wild game tends to have a higher protein and lower fat content than stuff that was farm-raised. And a great example of that, I think, is probably, like, venison, because I think venison is right on par with, like, the, the protein content of beef, but, like, just a fraction of the fat. Yeah, um, now bear. Now, bear, on the other hand, and Logan, you're you're an avid bear hunter, and you brought in a bunch of bear for us to eat as uh, sloppy bear sandwiches uh, mm-hmm. a month or so ago. Um, how does that compare? Well, it's fattier. It's got a higher, I don't know, higher caloric intake. Is that the uh, yeah. Yeah. official <laughs> vernacular here? Uh, it's a little fattier in venison, but it's still much better than anything else on the shelf, I would say. Maybe not in terms of actual fat content but in terms of overall health okay and i'm an expert yeah i am a scientist that's 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 just more energy right (laughs) more more calories equals more energy right yeah as much energy (laughs) as it takes to run down those bear (laughs) you need that extra caloric intake so so taylor what what's the reaction that you get from the folks that that attend these events very positive reactions, actually. Everyone loves trying the wild game. They love hearing that it's actually wild game. No one's ever said it tasted bad. They're always interested in when the next event is, when they can try more. And I'm getting a lot of feedback of what is that next step between, like, coming to one of my events and actually getting out there hunting. And that's kind of where we're trying to figure out now. What is that step between... You want to get started, you have no background, and actually getting out there hunting. The next step is get rid of your skinny jeans, right? I wear skinny jeans. You're a girl. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's okay. What, what's the percentage of, like, flat brim hats? Do you get lots of flat brim hats? Because this is something no. that drives Logan nuts. Yeah. Like, do the guys wear flat brim hats? The dunce cap of our generation. 
No. They, I don't get that at my events. Good. I mean, the people I'm who are glad. at my events are young professionals. I get them out of young professional groups, so they where, where do you jobs. recruit from? You know, I, where where do you get the, what groups are these that you're, you're pulling people out of? They're literally called young professional groups. There's like oh. Detroit Young Professionals, Grand Rapids Young Professionals. Oh, so there's, there's no flat bill. Caps no, in these those are groups. people okay. with degrees and jobs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect! Not not to denigrate. <laughs> no, skinny jean wearing flat brim people as if they don't have. No, we jobs, met. We met every word we no, said. No, people who wear flat brim hats who have degrees and jobs. Yep. Okay. I do. These these are tremendous events. So I mean. Well, and actually, when you were working with us on the on the ground wildlife habitat program, Gourmet Gone Wild catered one of the one of the projects for the lunch where we had a group of volunteers from Consumers Energy come out, and we had I think Cajun bear black bear sliders, sliders. Oh, yep. venison taco salad, and they loved it. Yeah. Um, and and most of these folks are people that didn't know much about hunting or have much exposure to it, and probably I think they were a little bit tepid at first and trying wild game, but after they had it, they realized it's delicious. Mm-hmm. So this is really important, and, and I'm going to go into a little bit of this survey that came out. And just for background, there's this group called the Michigan Wildlife Council, and they were created by legislation to create a marketing campaign that educates non-hunters about what hunting is all about. And that's kind of like what Taylor's doing with the Gourmet Gone Wild program, but you know through a mass media campaign. So they hired this marketing firm, Good Marketing, and... For them to craft the the marketing message that they want, and by the way, this is all paid for with a dollar out of every base hunting license and fishing license fee. Um, so we're paying for this marketing and this research as hunters and anglers. But they did their baseline survey just to see where are the people of Michigan at now, and the numbers were, frankly, not all that surprising, but still very instructive. Um, so overall, they found that 81% of Michigan residents are supportive or moderately supportive of hunting. Um, so that's good. You know, 81%, it's a little bit above the national average of 77%. But only 47% of them were strongly supportive, which means that those, those other 34%, they could be swayed to be against hunting in some situations. So that's something that we have to work at. But when it looks at where, where do non-hunters think basically it's, it's okay to hunt, um, what what are the okay motivations to hunt, and and how do they approve of those motivations? The number one motivation for hunting that the general public in Michigan supports is for food, and that's eighty eight percent of Michigan citizens think approve of hunting for food. Sixty percent of them strongly approve, and that's the only one that's over fifty percent for a strongly approve because. That's basically, that wins elections. 60% wins elections. So it's so important now that we get the general public to understand that hunting primarily is a food activity. Um, Drilling down to those numbers a little bit more, you know, when you talk about hunting for recreation, only 42% of people approve. For the challenge, only 33%. And the words, quote, for a trophy, only 19% of people approve. Um, so it's really important that we get people to understand that hunting pretty much is for food. Because you know that HSUS, their favorite thing, anytime they talk about hunting, is to say that it's for a trophy, whether it is or not. So, Taylor, how do you ever do, like, like exit surveys? How does the understanding of the 
of the people that you deal with, you know, from not having any exposure to hunting to then attending a gourmet gone wild event and trying wild game. Do you get the sense that from beginning to end, they end up coming with out with a more complete understanding that hunting is about food? Yeah, and I do have a exit. I have a survey at the end of every event, and we have them write down before the event. Did you agree with this statement? Strongly, more so agreed, neutral, disagree, and then an after section where do you still strongly is it neutral, disagree, and we do see a sway after eating the wild game. They're agreeing that eating wild game is healthier. They're agreeing that hunting can be used as a form of conservation. They're agreeing that all of this, like, bad images of hunting, after they're tasting this wild game, they're like, you know what, if you're eating the food, if you're going out there, it's all regulated. They they agree with it, and their, their opinions do change during our events. I'm really glad that you brought up that, that image of hunters, um, because when you go into these numbers again, so they have approval of hunting but then they go into approval of hunters and with approval of hunters it's actually only 60 uh 62 percent that approve of hunters so you have 81 percent of of people either strongly or moderately approve of hunting but only 62 percent strongly or moderately approve of hunters so there's almost a 20 point gap between people that approve of hunting and people that approve of hunters. And I think a lot of that comes from some of these kind of errant, untrue, stereotyped images of hunters that sometimes you see through the popular media. Logan, we were just talking about a couple days ago um, this movie Wild. Yep. um, That... We both, unfortunately, watched. (laughs) Right. So we both, just so you know, Logan and I both have... um, HBO packages and this movie wild just came out on like HBO and it's about this um, hiker um, who claims to have hiked the Pacific Crest Trail in the mid 90s and it's about her journey doing it there are some issues with the credibility of some of the instances described it's based on a book Um, but there's one scene where there are the she's apparently hiking in Oregon in August, mind you, and encounters two backcountry bow hunters. So, first of all, before you really <laughs> take too much of, of what happened in the movie seriously, keep in mind that the bow season didn't open until October in, in Oregon in, in 1995 when this was supposedly taking place. So, the rest of this story, who knows how it is, but... The way that these hunters are portrayed in the movie and in the book is basically totally creepy. Apparently, they asked her for water, saying that they only had empty beer cans in the movie. Even in the book, it says it was like pop cans. But who carries a six-pack of pop into the backcountry to hunt without water? It's just not plausible, especially when you consider that, (laughs) you know, the season didn't even open for two more months. Yeah, it was a typical, uh, uh, like you said, portrayal of hunters is dumb, inbred idiots right and that's exactly how it portrayed them when obviously i think it's been well proven that 
that event never took place. Never happened. A figment of somebody's imagination. Like the dialogue was like straight out of deliverance. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, like yeah. it was just sad. But this is the portrayal that the general public sees of of hunting and hunters. Yep. Um, we actually just had a, a an OTG project that was joint with the Rocky Mountain uh, Elk Foundation at their annual rendezvous up in the Pigeon River country. And Taylor, you remember Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, aren't you? Yeah, I used to be on a committee. Yep. Ran an event, was ticketing chair. Yep. And I'm not a deliverance hunter or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think nobody would ever accuse you of that. No. Um, but we were planting trees up in the Pigeon River country. There we, it is. Yeah, we made it uh, just to <laughs> note to our listeners that we made it 15 minutes into the podcast without mentioning the Pigeon River country. But so. that is it might where, be a record. But that is where the elk are. And that, that uh, is you know. where we did the project for elk, um, yep. planting apple trees and then putting a fence around the apple trees so the elk didn't rub them to death. Um, but as we were planting trees and we were just getting ready to finish up, there was a group of wildlife watchers uh, from the Chippewa Nature Center in Midland that were actually walking past a trail uh, next to the field where we were planting. And they asked what we were doing, and we explained that we were from the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and, you know, that groups like Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and MUCC through our on-the-ground program do volunteer projects like this for wildlife all the time and that it's funded with hunter and angler license dollars through the DNR Wildlife Habitat Grants. And there were all sorts of, thank you, this is great that, that you're doing this. And I was just thinking, you know, if every encounter that hunters had with non-hunters was like that, we could do something about these favorability rankings. Um, but instead of the general public having that impression of hunters, which were out there paying and paying for and volunteering for wildlife habitat all the time, they see these portrayals like we're in that movie, you know, and, and very few hunters are ever like that. But one of the things that gives hunters that bad name though, is basically people who don't follow the rules. So let's say that that incident in wild even really did take place. Those guys would not have been hunters. They would have been poachers because they would have been two, <laughs> two months before the season started, you know, out, out hunting. And we just had the camo at the Capitol uh, rally where we actually took testimony on um, the bills uh, that would actually increase the penalties for poaching. And these are bills that are supported by hunters. Um, they crack down on elk poaching, moose poaching, Logan, bear poaching. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> What's the community? So you're obviously a bear hunter. What do you hear from like the bear hunting community about you know bills like that and cracking down on poaching? Um, is that something that you hear about going on? Is that an issue with bears? I don't know necessarily poaching. Uh, the biggest thing you hear about is like out of out of season baiting that sort of thing. And you know most of the people that do that or just doing it so they can run run their dogs not that i'm making excuses for breaking any sort of rule or anything like that um but you don't hear much about bears being taken out of season uh bigger problem is you know people taking too small of bears but these bills don't really don't really cover that you know that's a that's a judgment call that's a, a preference thing you know if you're gonna shoot an 80 pound cub and go down to the bar and brag about it you know it's not against the law it's dumb Makes you a terrible person, but it's not against the law. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and I think that's one of those things that's like, when you talk about going down to the bar and bragging about it, that's one of the issues that we have with the image of hunters. You know, I think that's part of the reason why we have a 20% gap um, between 
favorability of hunting and favorability of hunters. And when you drill down into why that is, they asked the respondents of the survey, like, about their beliefs of hunters. So 17% of people strongly believe that hunters are generally responsible people. That's not a very high number. No. Um, 30% neither agree nor disagree. They just don't know if hunters are generally responsible people. So Um, that's half the population right there. Yeah, so like a third of people just don't know if hunters are generally responsible people. And then when when it asks if they generally believe that hunters follow the regulations and guidelines for hunting, only 17% strongly believe that and 25%, so a full quarter, just don't know if hunters generally follow the rules and regulations. So that's why we're pushing, you know, legislation like this that cracks down on poaching is when they hear about poaching that makes like the statewide headlines, they then think that hunters don't follow the rules. But those are poachers; those aren't hunters. So if we can eliminate those instances of poaching, uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a better time improving that image of hunters. But that's enough of like you know the kind of dry numbers that go on. Um, you know, we're now into the small game season. Um, we have bow season opening up on October 1st. Bear season's going on. So, Logan, you're going to be getting out on the bears pretty soon here. That's already going on now. Um, what have you been hearing for folks that are that are out hunting bears? Any success yet? Uh, yeah. Uh, a few people in the group I hunt with got early season, well, not early season, first season tags. Started on the 10th, and uh, we've had you know success out of that shooting bears over over bait so up where i hunt there's a a good number of bears a lot of bear moving around so we're pretty happy with that definitely looking forward to uh third season when my tag opens up and hopefully i can get up there and get the dogs several good runs and fill my tag and fill my freezer so i can feed my family for the next year that's awesome and then taylor we're going to get into a little bit here. Um, you guys ha- actually have a cookbook that has recipes for things like bear and, and other game um, called Wild Gourmet. Um, tell us a little bit about this cookbook and where people can find it. This is a cookbook we made with Boone and Crockett. It's for sale on our website, gourmetgonewild.org, and MUCC's store has it too. And it's a almost 300-page cookbook that the back... 100 pages of it are all about processing wild game, how to properly store it. But it features recipes of fish recipes, more fowl recipes, game recipes. In the game, we've got anything from rabbit to wild boar to bear. And we have a teriyaki bear recipe by Gourmet Gone Wild's own chef, Chef Dan Nelson, that is on our website if you want to look at it. But there's... If you can hunt it, there's probably a recipe for it in this book. <laughs> so we talked about how Logan came in and made us all uh, sloppy bear sandwiches. Um, that was delicious, but I think if you had this book, you could step up your game a little bit and do like a teriyaki bear. Or if you ever shot a deer, you could step up your <laughs> game and uh, you know actually cook it. All right, so what kind of recipes do you have in there for deer? We have the venison pasty, which is a Ooh. really good classic Michigan recipe. Mm-hmm. We've got some stuff that's a little, a little more intense. Leg of venison on a string. 
not by our chef Dan, but this book also features recipes from like Hank Shaw, Emeril Lagasse has a recipe in here, some famous French chefs. And Hank Shaw was actually just on the, um, um, <laughs> he was actually just on the Mark Kenyon Wired to Hunt podcast mm-hmm. um, a few weeks ago talking about uh, some of his favorite recipes for venison too, and some of those are, are in here. Yeah, um, Scott Layseth, who has the Sporting Chef TV show, is in here too. So, so top-notch yeah. wild game chefs um, with some recipes in there. Now, they don't have buffalo squirrel wings in there, but I, <laughs> I did follow along with the, the butchering section for squirrel just to make sure I was, I was still doing it right. Um, that made those excellent buffalo squirrel wings that you can find on the Michigan Out of Doors Facebook page. <laughs> I have to talk about the wild squirrel wings because it's the only thing I got. If it's last the year. only thing I've shot in the last <laughs> year. Yeah, I'd talk about it all the time too. Yeah. But like I said, you know, ask me in a couple months if I've donated any venison to wild, to wild gourmet or gourmet gone wild. You'd, you'd better have donated some by then or you're in for another long year. Yeah, I know. Just listen to Logan rag on me from the next office about how I haven't shot anything larger than a squirrel. That's uh, that's getting old. Good motivation. <laughs> a little bit. Yep. yep. So we have some on-the-ground projects, though, that you can join in to improve habitat for wild games so that you can cook it and eat it. And also by going out and volunteering, you can improve the image of hunters to try to bring that 62%, a little closer to that 81% of overall hunting approval. So basically what I'm saying is when you volunteer for wildlife, you improve your culinary prospects and you improve hunting rights because you make people think that hunters are awesome people. So the project coming up is September 26th. We're going to be at the Allegan State Game Area. Uh, What we're basically going to be doing is improving wood duck habitat by clearing out a bunch of encroaching timber from a rare coastal marsh, which is a really fancy way of saying is that we're going to cut down some trees. And that's going to be good for wildlife habitat. No, No, this is a different area. So... Um, a couple summers ago, we went up to the Allegan State Game Area and put up a whole bunch of wood duck boxes. This is a, a, a rare coastal marsh that has a lot of basically already standing snags and dead timber that already creates great nesting habitat for wood ducks. But the problem is with this coastal marsh, that they try to keep it clear, but you have a bunch of like new timber that's encroaching in on it and growing up that's choking out the marsh. So basically you just need to push that timber back and just drop it on the ground. When you do that, that's going to create, you know, areas for the wood ducks to nest as well. So you can sign up for that at www.mucc.org slash on the ground. Thank you for listening to another edition of Michigan Out of Doors podcast. Defend your rights to hunt, fish, and trap by joining MUCC at MUCC.org.